public health and safety is more important than a basketball sure. game. It felt like almost in an instant, everything ground to a halt. They're talking about canceling the opening day parade for the Reds. One after another, so many things were getting canceled right before our eyes. Hey, it's official. They've canceled that. Then, 10 seconds later, the NBA's walking off the court and they're canceling a game. And now, above all else, it's the safety of those on and off the field that's top of mind. Every staff has at least one and probably several guys that would fit into that at-risk category. Even as we head into a postponed opening day that has the Cincinnati Reds looking for another title. MLB.com just said the Reds are the number three ranked starting pitching staff in all of the big leagues. On TV, we only get a few minutes to share each story. But here, we get to tell you all the details about stories that are important to greater Cincinnati. I'm Stephen Albritton, and this is WLWT News 5 Beyond the Studio. Today on the pod, WLWT Sports Director George Vogel and sports reporter Brandon Seho. We preview what the Reds will look like heading into opening day, what covering sports in a world with COVID-19 has been like, and what the coaches and athletes are all saying as they try to get back to competition. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us here on the podcast. We're talking sports and COVID-19, but first, let's talk about some Reds baseball. Finally, we're going to get to see the boys of summer. I guess you'd call them the boys of the end of summer at this point. Take the field and I get to play. So, George, you've been out to Great American Ballpark, got to see the team do some exhibition. Uh, what are your sights? What is your what is your insight to everything you've seen down there? It was very odd. Very odd experience going down there and seeing that intra-squad scrimmage uh, where both teams, and now that was all Reds players, but they split into two squads. They're in game uniforms. They have umpires. You hear crowd noise piped in. Uh, real baseball is going on, but there's not a soul in the stands. And it was just such a weird experience. However, I'm excited to see it because I really thought there was a point this wasn't going to happen all season long, that we were not going to have baseball and we may not get back to any sports. And it gave me hope. And the way the Reds camp has gone has given me great hope that they can get through this season and we're actually going to have a season a playoff, and a World Series. And I also think we have a team in Cincinnati that might participate in a lot of that. Oh, yeah, that sounds great for the city and, you know, people who need an, an, an outlet for everything going on with COVID-19. You know, Seho, the Reds were active in the offseason, to say the very least. They spent a lot of money. Run down this roster for us. Who are the must-sees, the must-watches, and uh, who do you think is going to be key to that 60-game uh, sprint to the finish? Well, you look at the lineup and the pitching staff, and those are two of the best in baseball. MLB.com just said the Reds are the number three ranked starting pitching staff in all of the big leagues. And uh, Tucker Barnhart told us earlier this week that he thinks that's a little low for uh, for them. So he believes they have the best staff in baseball, and they have one of the best lineups in baseball too. You mentioned the offseason, Nick Castellanos, Mike Moustakis, bringing in two big bats to complement Eugenio Suarez and Joey Votto right in the middle. I mean, there is a lot of potential there with this team in the lineup. Then you add the DH, the universal DH. That's an advantage. You can throw a guy in like Aristides Aquino, Nick Senzel, if he has an off day. Obviously, they added Shogo Akiyama, and now he's at the front of the lineup starting in center field or in the outfield somewhere. So I think they're really excited about this lineup and the big talent and the big name they add, names they added. But there's a lot to work with that the Reds already had. 
But like you said, it was just a very active. It's the most they've ever spent, right, George? Yeah. In, in one offseason like that, no doubt. In, in fact, probably by far. And Shogo is a guy I want to see make things happen at the top of the lineup because they've been struggling there for years. They had Billy Hamilton, who could make a lot happen other than get on base. And you've got to have a guy at the top of the lineup to get on base. That's Shogo's job. That's why they went out and got him. And a lot of teams were interested in this guy. Uh, they brought him here to get on base, set the table. You got Joey Votto, a big on base percentage guy behind him. That's where they're hoping the bats of Castellanos, Mustakas, and Suarez, and Sinzel, and Winker. There should be a lot of opportunities for those guys to drive in runs. And there's a lot to be excited about when you look at the lineup and the starting pitching. We just saw Wade Miley the other night put on a clinic in that scrimmage. And that's the number four guy in there behind Sonny Gray, who's your opening day starter, Luis Castillo, Trevor Bauer, then Wade Miley. Like you said, a lefty who works quick and has some action on his balls. The uh, the uh, it's just amazing to watch this this pitching staff the way they've worked together. And then you got, I mean, Anthony DiScalfani. He's a guy who could be a second or third starter potentially on any other team. Three years ago, two years ago, he was the opening day starter. Now he got hurt and and couldn't start. But he was he had a lat problem. But he was the guy that was going to start opening day for this team. Now he's slotted as the number five starter in the rotation. That's how far they've come in a short amount of time. Yeah, that all sounds great. And George, you mentioned something about getting a lot of opportunities. The season is going from 162 games down to 60. You know, what's that mean for a team who has, I mean, I don't want to say they have a lot of pressure on them, but it seems like from what you guys are saying, like they have a lot of talent to make something happen, but it's going to be, you know, how you start and getting to that finish. Yeah, and I think they're putting the pressure on themselves. I think they know they have a chance, and I think they expect big things. Uh, certainly they expected better things last year, but with what they've gone out and added this year, uh, I feel like they are almost in a playoff or bust mode that if they don't make the playoffs, this is going to be an absolute bummer, downer, disaster for the Cincinnati Reds because they are loaded and and they are good enough to win this division. And I just think that uh, you you look at how they constructed it money-wise, how they constructed it from playing-wise, the only downside – is you look at the defense and you think, you know, you got Mustakas at second, you're sacrificing a little bit there probably range-wise, maybe, maybe not. You know, Scooter didn't have the greatest range either. You know, Freddie Galvis now over at short, we'll see how that works out. But baseball has become such a shifting sport now where, you know, they shift these guys all over. Range doesn't matter like it did 10 years ago. So I I just think they feel like they're built to win. It, It is a sprint. Uh, David Bell has been pounding from day one. Don't worry about your personal stats. It's wins and losses. Wins and losses is all that's going to matter here. He knows they make money off personal stats. This year, it's kind of a wash. No one's going to look at a 60-game season and say Suarez only hit 10 home runs and think he's not a good third baseman. The stats aren't going to matter as much in this short of a season for a guy getting a long-term contract, at least I don't think. Yeah, and there's two stats that David Bell has talked about that matter the most. Number one, everyone stay healthy, and two, winning. Like George said, they know how good they are on paper. Nick Castellanos, when he got here, he was the last piece of this puzzle that was put together in the offseason. He said, yeah, I know we're great on paper, but we have to prove it. And then today, this week, or, you know, this week he said, uh, you know, we, um, we know how good we are, 
We have the potential. This is one of the best teams I've ever been on. Now we got to go make it happen. Eugenio Suarez talked about the World Series yeah. today. Like, there's no hiding the hype behind this team. I mean, George, you know from covering it, I know from being here when it happened, but 2010, 2012, and a little bit in 2013, there was a lot of hype around this team, but it wasn't, they built it during the seasons. 2010, Joey Votto will tell you, was kind of a, I don't know if surprise is the right word. They knew they could be good, but they didn't know they could be that good to win the division. Now, you know, things didn't go well in the postseason, but then 2011, 2012, they were a very good baseball team, and they let one slip away against the Giants in twenty in 2012, which I think fans, baseball fans in Cincinnati, are still having a hard time let go. The, the one-game wild card game in, in Pittsburgh, that was, you know, it, it's a one-game playoff. Right. Right, but when you're up 2 nothing, I think that's going to sting. And for the first time in seven, eight years, this town believes that they have one of the best baseball teams, not just in the National League, but in Major League Baseball. So the expectation is there and the hype is there. Hopefully, you know, they can make it happen because this, this town's hungry for, for a winner on that baseball field again. Yeah, so we are recording this podcast on Monday, July 20th, the opening nights here in Cincinnati be Friday, the July 25th at 610. So, you know, the big headline that we've been talking about, obviously, for the past four months is uh, COVID-19 and sports has had one of, has been felt uh, probably the biggest impact um, just about from COVID-19. You guys have been in this for a while. You guys remember the night when the NCAA tournament, or excuse me, the conference tournaments in basketball were just canceled yeah. mid-game, uh, you know, mid-tournament for a lot of reasons or for, for a lot of teams. You know, George, for you, take us back to those those nights when the cancellations were happening and your first thoughts thinking about, well, I had Dayton up the road we were about to go cover, hopefully make a run, and now it's all gone. What do we do next? It was stunning. It was it was unbelievable. It, it really was just, you're watching this whole thing collapse. And, you know, I've told the story where there was a night, I'm, I'm back in that sports office, and we had just found out or were told, hey, they're talking about canceling the opening day parade for the Reds. I go out in the newsroom. I find out as soon as I walk out, hey, it's official. They've canceled that. Okay, then right then I hear, uh, I believe it was Tom Hanks has COVID-19. Then 10 seconds later, the NBA's walking off the court and they're canceling a game. This all happened inside of a minute or less. And it's like, this is really happening. And then game after game, just each domino kept falling. You're like, oh my God, we've never dealt with anything like this. And we don't know what's happening now, what's happening tomorrow, and what the end of this is going to be. And as we sit here now in July, we still don't know what the end of this is going to be. However, we do know that teams have found ways to deal with it. And the fact that, you know, the NBA has had great success now with their bubble down there, that it looks like, you know, they they had a day with no positive tests, nothing. Uh, Major League Baseball, the Reds have had great success. And really around Major League Baseball, after the initial hiccup of test results coming back and they weren't getting them in a timely fashion to send guys out on the field together. They got that cleared up. They're starting to get a handle on this, on how they can do it, find ways to keep it safe. And my word, down at the stadium, they're keeping things. We're not anywhere near the players. We're not anywhere near where they go. And we're finding ways to deal with it now where we can have sporting events 
at the major league level. We'll see about the other ones coming up, but at least at the major league level and MLS is doing very well. They had a couple teams drop out, but that tournament is progressing. Yeah, and it's been a totally different experience for us covering sports during this. Normally what happens when we go to the ballpark is we come in field level where the visiting team buses park and we walk right where the players walk. I go we go through the uh through the dugout to get out of the field. That's yeah. where we do our pregame reports. We watch batting practice. We'll shoot it and film it and everything and report. Can be in the clubhouse. Yeah, walk with around them. the clubhouse, hang out with them and, and talk before we do the interviews. And now it's you go in, and the Reds have been amazing at it uh, with, with Zoom uh, press conferences and, and the access they've given us, but it is totally different. Now we go in on the suite level. We have to wear our mask. Temperature gets taken uh, right when we walk in, and then we do a four-page survey on how we're feeling that day, and then we can't even go now down to the main concourse to the seating bowl. We're up on the suite level, so we are a whole story or two away from where the action's at, and we're used to being on the field. So it's totally different, but I have to give the Reds major credit for what they have done, Rob Butcher and his staff being able to help us uh, with the media and the interviews. I mean, just today, uh, we got Nick Castellanos, Eugenio Suarez, and David Bell all within 45 minutes on a Zoom call, which it's not as fun as doing it in person and being able to talk to these guys and kind of get to know them, and that's how you build relationships with this job. But the way they've handled it has, has been great for the Reds. Yeah, it's definitely working. And all, kudos to the Castellini family and every, everything down there is first rate. They have enough. They have ushers down there just for the media people to take them around, make sure they want to make sure we don't go somewhere we're not supposed to. I don't want to go somewhere I'm not supposed to. Uh, they've done a great job getting a handle on the whole thing. And it probably hasn't been cheap for them in a time where they're losing money. So I, I give them all the credit in the world to pull this thing off. Yeah, that's great. And during the midst of all the uh, you know shutdowns, you know Cincinnati was getting ready for you know something that only happens to a few franchises every few years, and that's making the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. We all know the Bengals uh, had the pick; they took Joe Burrow number one out of Louisiana State. But this draft was supposed to be in Vegas, and you guys were supposed to be there to cover this uh, you know this uh, franchise changing moment. Yeah, but I just was, like everything else, take yeah, it away. I was going to be out in Vegas and watching Joe Burrow take a little boat out to the main stage on the Bellagio Lake by the fountains, and I didn't get close to Las Vegas, man. My plane got canceled. I think my plane got canceled about a minute after that NBA game pulled up stakes, and, and the news director realized, hey, I don't have to pay for this flight. <laughs> Gone. But no, <laughs> I kid. But but it, it was a weird, weird draft where I was talking with one of the Bengals PR people today about how that was pulled off. And I thought it went very well. In fact, there were some things made it better, seeing these guys all at their home making these picks and and uh, Bill O'Brien getting mad when they didn't make the trade and you and could Bill read his lips. making a pick. Yeah, all that weird <laughs> stuff going on. That, that made for some fun television 
television as opposed to what it may be. But uh, it definitely wasn't fun for the fans who thought they were going to go to Vegas and have this big party out there. But, uh, you know, the Bengals and the NFL did a great job improvising and, again, using Zoom, something I never heard of six months ago, and now I'm relying on it every day, uh, you know, to get interviews. We got Joe Burrow that night. You got Zach Taylor within minutes after the pick was made. Uh, They did a great job with it. It was very different, uh, very strange to have the commissioner in his basement announcing these picks, uh, you know, and not having the people in New York or wherever they are booing the commissioner. Uh, It was just very odd. But, again, these leagues are finding ways to adapt, and it was still a big moment for the Cincinnati Bengals and for Cincinnati to have that number one pick and take the guy, the Heisman Trophy winner, and the guy everyone felt they should take. Mm-hmm. And, Brandon, there was a moment that Joe Burrow would not have been able to experience, if not for that night, where people were lining up yeah. outside of his house. Yeah, the people outside of his house uh, in the plains, outside of Athens, were driving by and making like a parade, honking their horns so they could hear him inside the house because he was in there with his parents and his girlfriend and his high school coaches. And uh, yeah, they were just driving by, honking their horns. That's amazing. Totally made up for it for him. He actually said, he's like, you know, he was kind of bummed about the thing not happening. But then after that experience, that night happened. He's like, you know what? I'm glad I was home now. And those people drove by. He's like, I would not have experienced that if I'm standing on a stage at the Bellagio. Now, you would have been in front of thousands and thousands of people and fireworks going off and all that. But that says a lot about Joe Burrow, how much that moment meant to him that he got to kind of celebrate it, you know, not face to face because we were still all social distancing. But, uh, in his hometown with those people blowing the horns going by the house. And I know that was a big moment for Joe Burrow, but for uh, not just Bengals fans, but for sports fans in general, the NFL draft, we weren't sure if it was going to pass or fail or what it was going to be like. And I think having those three days of live sports to watch together for uh, sports reporters, sports fans, people who just casually watch football, to have something fun and something that brings people together happen that that meant a lot and that was a big moment for everyone during uh the the stay-at-home order when you couldn't do anything i think that was really cool well yeah i mean it's probably going to be the highest rated draft ever for a long time right right? i would think (laughs) it's gonna be hard to find a captive audience like that again it's time to take a quick break on the other side we dive into high school and college sports in this age of covid19 we've all seen it that check engine light in our car Do I check it now? Check it later? Can I keep driving? That one light doesn't tell you what you need to know. And if you get your weather from a symbol on your phone, you're not getting the full story. WLWT Weather has the only certified most accurate forecast in Cincinnati. It's where you get the difference-making details. You'll know exactly what to expect and when, so you can plan your day. WLWT Weather, Cincinnati's certified most accurate forecast. Xavier, UC, Northern Kentucky, Dayton, you know, colleges, they have had a completely different experience from the pros. Of course, you know, UC has cut some sports. We hear of other, uh, at least mid-major level programs, cutting sports, you know, because the cash cow of football, we still don't know if it's going to happen, at least at the college level. So from what you guys have heard, the people you talk to, what's, what's it like being a college athletic director, a college SID, even a college athlete, just being in this time of uncertainty? They are plotting ahead as if it's going to happen, but 
like everything else and everyone else, in the back of their mind, they know the rug could be pulled out any moment. NKU last week, their conference decided no sports until at least October 1st. So cross country, all that stuff is pushed back. Soccer, all of those sports in the fall pushed back for the Horizon League. Uh, you know, we know the Big Ten Conference has done it. Uh, Pac-12 has done it. SWAC today. SWAC today. Uh, and they're going to win at least October 1st or the whole I don't know the season. exact date, but the fall sports are – not officially canceled, but postponed. So the SWAC, uh, which is a lot of your HBCU colleges down uh, down south, you could have them playing maybe in the spring in an all-conference thing. But what goes back to that with all these different conferences is the schools like in the SWAC, a school like Southern and Baton Rouge might go play Auburn to open the season, right. and that's where they make all their money for their athletic yep. department for the year. And now those games aren't going to happen. So when you have – uh, you know, other conferences like the Big Ten's canceling their non-conference schedule. Well, that affects UC going up and playing them in September. Or what did I just say? Uh, play, play, they had a date with Nebraska. This Nebraska. Did I yeah. say Wisconsin? Yeah. Nebraska. Nebraska, no, Nebraska that's what I Yeah, you know. you take a school? I think <laughs> Buffalo had two Big Ten yeah. opponents this year, and that's that's a big deal for their athletic department. I mean, name a Mac school, and I think for the first time in a while, Miami didn't. But pretty much every Mac school, I think it was like 10 or 11 games. Uh, yeah, Ball that, State that had were two of them. Invo- they were supposed to go to okay, Michigan State and two, two, of them. two in, in, on the road to Indiana as well. Yeah, Almost $2 million and, and, dollars right there. And that's a big deal to their athletic department. I saw where Bowling Green – was going to boot their baseball program and it was gone and they had a deadline to when it was gone and that was their oldest program up there on campus was the baseball program but it got saved by some former players they had to raise like 1.5 mil or 2 mil by a certain time and some alumni who were former baseball players one of them's a big insurance guy I think in Toledo they got together and even they didn't think it was going to happen till the last minute somehow they saved it but it's been a weird time for college sports and it's different with like baseball and even the NFL where you have you know a limited roster compared to college you're talking 85 scholarship players what five to ten walk-ons so now you're talking 95 guys the entire season that you're testing every week if not more than once it's that's a tall order you know that's not the nfl and nfl money when you're getting into you know let's say a school like uc they're always like riding a, a, a fence on making money, losing money with athletics, you know, getting student fees pulled in to help athletics. And then you're going to pile this expense on top of it and testing these guys and all this stuff they have to do. Like we're seeing down at great American ballpark with the cleaning. And I mean, it's, that's asking a lot of schools, you know, unless you're in Ohio State and Alabama, even UK that makes a killing, you know, with fundraising. But if you're not a power, a major player, power five school, that's asking a lot. And I don't know how they're going to pull it off. I, I'm, I'm not convinced they're going to. And Luke Fickle is still convinced that football is going to happen this year. And instead of Wisconsin, they were supposed to have a game at Nebraska. And that was a winnable game. UC's got a great team. And He's convinced that they're still going to be able to have a great season and football will happen. But like you said, no matter if it's sports or or life, work, no one knows what's going to happen with COVID-19 from day to day because one day it could be all optimism that sports are going to happen. The next day, 
We have conferences canceling football games. It, it's, it's a crazy time where you really don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, I hope this spike settles down and in a month we're having a completely different conversation that it looks like things can get off the ground. But again, I, I thought when this started back in March that by July we would be through it one way or the other. And the fact that we're still sitting here with the same questions about whether or not you can hold a football season and – I think the NFL can pull it off. I really do. It's good that they have agreed, you know, with the players on the testing protocol and all that. Um, but, man, th- th- that's a contact sport where if one dude on the field has it, uh, <laughs> you know, everyone on that field who hasn't had it is probably going to have it, right? Yeah, all it takes is one, one dog, dog pile tackle and it, yeah, you know, exactly. six, seven, eight guys. And so and- it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that works. And that's why, for that reason right there, it's going to be tough to pull it off in college athletics unless something changes here in the next month, which it may. And the same with high school sports. I, oh, boy, it, yeah. I don't know how, if you don't have college football, how we can have high school football. And, and being from here and being big on high school football, that's one of our favorite things to cover, one of our favorite sports to watch. And obviously, Greater Cincinnati's very, very passionate about high school sports in general, but specifically Friday Night Lights. It's going to be tough because if uh, what if they say you have to test kids every week? How how can how can certain schools afford that? I don't know. I don't know how they're going to make that work, and 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 that's you know that's one component of many components that that could deep six this thing. Between that and contact sports being allowed, it's it's a it is a lot of uncertainty, and that's kind of been the theme the past four or five months with this. Well, and you have the professionals and like the Reds, and they're doing the right things, and they want to play and all that. But you get down to the high schools, and you're asking a lot of those kids where you think they're going to stay home seven nights a week and and not hang out with any friends or anyone. I mean, it's it's asking a lot of these younger people, and I, I don't know if we're going to see it or not. I mean, California said nothing till. No football till the end of the year, I guess. They may try after the 1st of January. Uh, the, the high school coaches here and and the athletic directors are still – they're all planning that they're going to put on the pads August 1st and start practicing. But just like everyone else, the back of their head, it's like i got to have 15 contingencies because it very well could change. Yeah, and on top of that, you know, you know staying on the high school topic – you have a lot of coaches who are probably in the at-risk range. They, you know, most of these coaches probably teach, whether it be gym class, math, physics, whatever it might be, and then they're going to be around, you know, 50, 60, 70 football players, depending on the size of the school. You know, we we put a lot of focus on the safety of these students, but you're going to have coaches, athletic trainers, a lot of other people around these programs who could be at risk for, you know, one reason or another. What are they saying and about that? Every staff has guys like that, and they know they do, whether they're older or, you know, they've had asthma issues, whatever it is. Every staff has at least one and probably several guys that would fit into that at-risk category, and these coaches are real hesitant about putting anybody at risk. You don't want to do that. They don't want to be the responsible one for that. So, you know, you you don't 
first of all, just as a human being, you don't want to put someone in that position. Then, you know, whose fault it, you know, who wants that on their conscience if somebody does get it? Because we decided it was a good idea August 1st to go out and have football practice. And now this dude's in the hospital in an ICU unit with COVID-19. No one wants to do that to anybody. And so that's a lot of questions that people still haven't answered because there's no easy answer. And I don't know if there is an answer. Well, and there's one high school basketball coach here in the Tri-State that I talked to maybe a month ago about that same example. And it's basketball. He said, it can wait. There's no rush to practice. Of course, I want to have my guys practicing together, conditioning, the camaraderie. But you know how bad I would feel if my 60-something-year-old assistant coach somehow got COVID-19 because an asymptomatic player spread it to him at practice and none of us know and then he's like you said George in the ICU struggling uh with his health because of the coronavirus he doesn't he doesn't want that to happen so he's saying we're just not going to practice and this isn't a you know a school that doesn't care about basketball this is a, a school that usually is pretty good at basketball and, and so coaches are worried I think and they're trying to figure out and so are athletic directors and school districts how to do this the best safe way and I don't know if they're going to figure out a way to make that possible by the time we're supposed to start seeing Friday Night Football. Yeah, I don't know either. I don't know how they do it. And, and you know, the kids, it's one thing. There's arguments on two sides about if they should be back in school. And, you know, they're not as at risk as all I mean, there's, there's a great national debate going on about that now. But when you're talking about sports, that's not school and kids getting education. And, and yes, it does help. Look – you know, the, they talk about the mental health of kids and all that. And there's a lot of coaches worried about some of the kids they have not having the things to do that they normally have to do and not having the extra extracurricular activities that they're good at. You know, they may not be great in school and, and getting good grades, but by golly, they got great success going on on this athletic field. And they're not going to get that reassurance that, hey, you know, I, I'm good at something, therefore I'm going to keep trying to get good at other things. Uh, there's a, it's a tough one, and and I hope that this vaccine comes out sooner rather than later, and we can get past this because that debate. I mean, there's there's a hundred different angles to this debate, a hundred or more. Yeah, and 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 we always talk about you know what's happening right now, what's really kind of right in front of us over the next couple of months. But you know, when we we've spoken before, you know, some of these kids maybe going into their junior year. That's a pretty big year for recruiting. And if you're one of these kids who might grow four or five inches over the summer or you might go to a camp and be seen by that coach, you know, these things might not be happening. Well, that's especially the case for AAU basketball, where the peak times on these circuits are spring and summer. And they didn't happen. They they didn't happen. There was a tournament this past weekend in Indianapolis where some AAU teams got to play in. But that's the first time they've got to play competitively in months. And like you said, for a kid who's going into his junior year, this is when they start to make some noise on the AAU circuit throughout the summer. And you're having the big name college coaches go out to these camps and, and these tournaments. And you're seeing a guy who might have no offer start to get some Mac offers or a guy that has an offer to Miami, Ohio, all of a sudden has interest from Ohio State because like you said, he shoots up a few inches. They see his game start to mature. So now it's putting players in a tough spot because these high school student athletes don't have a chance to showcase their talent and try to earn a scholarship as much. 
and then the college coaches don't know how talented these kids really are because they haven't played, they haven't seen them play all summer. Yeah, there's, I mean, there are so many kids that probably aren't on the radar in April when AAU starts playing that in July they're getting looks from people because it only takes one coach to look at a kid and say, you know what, I see something in this dude, whether it's his hustle or the way he's handling the ball or, you know, Maybe there's a couple of things they can fix with his shot, and he's a really athletic kid that they can, you know, fit into their lineup. I mean, there's there's so many things to that that have been missed out on, and I mean, it's tough for the kids, tough for the coaches, and uh, I don't know how you rectify that. I mean, high school season, if they pull it off in basketball, and hopefully by then we have that, is going to be more important for those kids that are juniors than probably it's ever been before, and some seniors probably. Well, and most times you see the college coaches for high school football at their – they go to the camps too, but they're at those high school football games on the sidelines. I mean, there's been multiple times where we've seen Ohio State, Alabama – LSU coaches in town the last few years and you know UC coaches as well UK looking at the local talent but for basketball it's usually at those AAU uh, tournaments so now it'd be interesting to see how many college coaches are sitting up at a uh, St. X Elder game or or a Taft-Aiken game and watching some of the local talent that weren't able to showcase their talents during the AAU season. You would think it would be more. It would be like the old days when there wasn't this big AAU thing. I remember back way before you, Brandon, when high school basketball was the big thing and a coach would show up at a game. And, you know, I I remember, I mean, big-name coaches. Lute Olsen would come to town and be sitting at a game somewhere. It's like, oh, he's looking at so-and-so or Digger Phelps shows up at a Moeller game go figure that connection Notre Dame and Moeller they were but you know he's looking at somebody it it was it was a big deal and you would hear about it on a Friday night that you know this guy was at this game that guy was at that game and figuring out you know you would know who they're looking at because those teams would have the can't miss players but that's what it could get back to again which Made high school basketball kind of exciting, actually. It was fun. Absolutely. All right, gentlemen, um, as we wrap up over the past four months, you know, uh, tell our listeners what's one thing that has stood out to you through this COVID-19 experience and trying to cover sports. It might have been a conversation you had with an athlete, a coach, an athletic director, something you just saw from afar, or just something like, I cannot believe this is happening in 2020. Yeah, it would be... Uh Boy, there's so many. There's so many things. And and what stands out, I guess, is just a collection uh, of people who really want to pull things together and make it happen and make it happen safely. And and there there's, you know, and, and this boils down more to the collegiate and the, the high school level, especially the high school level. You talk to these ADs and how much concern there is for these kids. And I touched on it a minute ago. Um, there is genuine love for those kids by these ADs and coaches that you know is, has always been there, but when they can't see them. Because for a while there, you know, from end of March through June, they weren't even able to see these kids, basically. They weren't allowed at school. School facilities were closed. And Jan Wilking at Wyoming, I talked to her to the, the day when the kids, I think it was the day the kids came back, because she talked about the joy it was to see these kids again, like she hadn't seen in two months. It's like, I just want to see my kids again and make sure they're doing well. And you kind of lose sight of that when you're just 
thinking about the games and who's the best player and who's the best team, who's going to win state. And you're like, the other teams, okay, they're not so good. But every one of those schools, every one of those teams has somebody that's in that role that's looking out for them. And, and, and that gives you hope for humanity. If I don't, I don't want to get too deep here, but it <laughs> no, does. Ahead, I mean, go it's ahead. a very, deep. <laughs> it's, it was a very human moment that, that the smile on her face talking about seeing those kids for the first time in two months. I think the biggest takeaway for me, and it's a positive note is how much people come together around sports and love sports. Like it's our job as sports reporters to, cover sports but it's also our outlet it's it's what we enjoy doing if say we have a bad day at work or something's going on personal sports can be your outlet and kind of be uh what what helps you relax at home after a bad day and I don't think I realized even though I've been a sports fanatic my entire life and knew I always wanted to be a sports reporter until these last four or five months I don't think I realized how big sports were to me even when I wasn't thinking about it, because when you go four months without seeing a live sporting event, without there being baseball or or no March Madness, it is wild to me. So I think I've grown in a, a bigger pro, uh, appreciation for for sports and how it brings people together. And now we're seeing it in new ways where even though there's not going to be fans at Reds opening day, there's going to be fans at those bars like the Holy Grail. Oh, yeah. And they're going to be packed in there, but in the safest way possible, social distancing and still cheering on their team. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that. We've seen it with SC Cincinnati when they won their first match. And, and it was, you know, seeing Twitter get really excited and social media and, and seeing the fan reaction. It's, it's been awesome to see people come together at a small degree for sports already. I'm excited to see what it's going to look like when, like we talked about earlier, Hopefully the Reds make a postseason run. Even if oh, yeah, it'd be nuts. And even if they get some fans in there, I, I think that's the biggest takeaway is just seeing sports bring people together again. That's been nice because you didn't realize for four months uh, how, how much you missed it. And I never got tired of the question, are we going to see baseball this year? Are we going to see – I'm not tired of the question. <laughs> no. I want to know. Right. I want to see it too. And I've been asked a zillion – Anywhere I go, and if somebody knows who I am and where I work and what I do, hey, are we going to see the Reds this season? <laughs> I, I hope. Every golf course I've been on, they're talking about the Reds. That's a lot of golf. We course. got golf back. <laughs> you did have a lot of golf. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure I asked you that question every night at 10 o'clock as well. Like, yeah. We're we going to see it. We're we going to see it happen. Yeah, we we just I, may. I wish I had a concrete answer. I, I hope is what I always say, and I think. But uh, by golly, this week we're going to see it. Uh, let's let's hope for uh, Friday night, uh, July 25th, 6 10, first pitch at Great American Ball park for the Cincinnati Reds. We hope we get to Friday. We hope we get 60 games in and hopefully a World Series run out of then. Brandon Seho, George Vogel, thank you guys so much. We appreciate it. Stephen, thank you. Thank you. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. This has been WLWT News 5 Beyond the Studio. I'm Stephen Albritton. Thanks for listening.